my job has a lot to do with my self-identity. So as soon as I realized I didn't really know what to think of myself anymore and I felt like I was going through a major breakup, especially for someone who's so committed in their job, I'd like to think that I work really hard and for it to not be on my terms, for it to be such a surprise, it was really initially embarrassing. And I think a lot of companies or when you get told that you've been made redundant, they'll tell you it's not personal and it's just business, but you definitely have these doubts as to why it was you. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with our good friend and resident beauty, Jess Nguyen. If you had told any of us in March this year that Jess would be coming on an In Conversation episode of Shameless to tell her story, well, we all would have been a little bit perplexed. Because just a handful of months ago, Jess was working in the upper echelons of Mecca, the country's leading beauty brand. But given 2020 is the curveball of all curveballs, Jess was suddenly made redundant one afternoon in March and used that experience to completely change the course of her life through food. As Jess found comfort in unemployment through cooking, she noticed a gap in the market, a lack of easy-to-follow recipes on social media that cater to everybody. So she decided to fill that gap herself. It has not even been six months since Jess lost her job because of the pandemic and she has already worked with the likes of Vogue Australia and has amassed almost 50,000 Instagram followers. Oh, and cooking has accidentally on purpose become her full-time job. In this chat, we go from the moment Jess learned she'd been made redundant to how food is her form of therapy and why it's been that way since childhood. There's a lot of doom and gloom around at the moment and the pandemic has taken so much from so many. And that's why we thought today we'd bring you the story of someone who built something incredible throughout it all. Here's Jess. Jess Nguyen, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. I think this is a bit of a weird experience for all of us because we have all known each other for a while now and I don't think any of us originally saw ourselves sitting down to record an interview together. Absolutely not and thank you so much for having me. It is very surreal and exciting and humbling to be here so thank you so much. I reckon it's a weird one for Mish and I because I don't actually think we've interviewed anyone we're friends with. Have we, Mish? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. We've become friends with people after we've interviewed yeah. them. And I interviewed Jules at the beginning of the year, who you also know, Jess, Jules Von yeah. Hepp. And he's like, I'm friends with him. But it's a very rare, weird experience to interview your friends because I kind of feel like we're all, you said this before we jumped on the mic, we're all in a bit of a job interview right now. Or we're all like putting on our <laughs> professional faces. Absolutely. It's a really weird way. And also because like seeing you guys virtually like this, it's it's really different. But I'm very excited to see what kind of questions you have for me. All really hard ones. <laughs> now, let's start really simple. Well, I say simple, but this might be the hardest one for all of us at the moment. How are you going? It's a super weird time in Melbourne, but what we're starting these interviews at the moment is doing is, is asking people how they are. Yeah, I... 
you know what? To be honest, I, f- I felt a bit flat at the start of this week. It hasn't been the best week in Melbourne, but I am pretty hopeful. I feel like I'm Bill Murray in Groundhog Day, <laughs> where every day is a bit of a blur and it just feels a bit the same and feels a little bit grim at times, but I'm trying to do things every day that make me feel good and are a little bit, you know, out of the ordinary but still at home and safe just so then it feels like I'm doing something different and productive. But, yeah, I I wouldn't be lying in saying that I felt a bit flat and unproductive at the start of this week. I think I wonder if you're similar to me, Jess. I think I learned something from the first lockdown. I went in with the mindset of it's a pandemic, go easy on yourself. Don't kind of set yourself up with all this stuff to do. And while I think that was good on one hand and that I kind of relaxed and was very gentle on myself, on the other hand, it dragged out for so long. So this second time with lockdown, I'm kind of like, I want to fill my days with stuff or have structure or bring things in where I just feel like I have some sense of normality because the first time I was a bit of a slob. Are you like bringing routine into every day to kind of ground yourself and keep yourself centered? Absolutely. I think this lockdown is really different for me. In the first lockdown, I didn't have a job, so I could kind of just do anything and have a bit of fun with it. But I think now that I'm trying to balance working and existing in lockdown, I'm definitely having to structure everything and make sure that I'm efficient with my time and that I'm taking enough time out for myself because it's so different having worked in a corporate office environment for so many years and now you're working from home. So I'm kind of going through this adjustment of trying to learn how to be a business owner and do it through COVID (laughs) or start a new business through COVID. So that's kind of where I'm at. Let's talk about stuff outside of work to start. What are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that is keeping you sane and distracted and kind of giving you some you time? So... I have been kind of throwing it back recently. So I have been watching The Sopranos with my husband and I'm just over halfway through the whole series. So there's six seasons, 13 episodes. So it's about over 50 hours of Sopranos I've watched so far, which is crazy. But I love those kind of series where it follows you know, a protagonist who is generally like an anti-hero and there's a lot of character development involved with it. I think it's really interesting watching and seeing how those people interact in their jobs that are so different from yours. And I find that's been giving me the escapism that I need and also that routine and structure to have something to be able to go to at the end of every day. That's been super comforting. And then In terms of other things that I've been watching or following that's provided me with a bit of relief is I follow Pastor Grannies, which I don't know if you know them. Can I? I'm going to look on Instagram. Yes. So they have an Instagram. They've got a YouTube. They have a book that they published. It's essentially a publication that showcases all of these Italian grandparents mostly nonnas and it showcases their pasta and and how they make it so you have you know these nonnas who are 90 years old showing you how to make tortellini from scratch on youtube well if you're scrolling through instagram you'll see it in your feed and it's kind of been that wholesome content that i really love and obviously i'm 
naturally intrigued as well from a food perspective to see them do that. But I think there's something in seeing someone who's done something for decades, do it so effortlessly and beautifully. It's something that I've looked forward to in my feed. Pretty wholesome. It's pretty pure as well. I love that when we get, like, I think I need to go follow, what was it? Pasta Grannies? Was that what it was? Pasta Grannies, yeah. They've Pasta got a, Grannies. Like half a million followers on Instagram. It's so cute and mesmerizing to watch. So oh my check God, it out. I love it. Jess, speaking of wholesome and pure, take us back to your childhood. What were you like as a kid? As a kid, I, so I'm Vietnamese Australian. I grew up in a family where I'm, I was the only child and pretty independent and also pretty busy. I don't, like when I think about it, I would always fill my time and days with something to do. I was one of those kids who had a lot of extracurricular activities. So I would you know, go to school throughout the week and on the weeknights I'd go to dance classes, which I did from the age of three to 18, and then I was actually a dance teacher for a couple of years whilst I was at uni. So I'd dance for 15 hours a week, do that all day Saturday, and then on a Sunday my parents would make me go to Vietnamese language school at a place in Keysborough. So I'd do that from 9 to 12, which I hated at the time, but I think I really appreciate that now because I can I can still speak Vietnamese to my parents and to anyone else. It was a pretty idyllic childhood growing up in the outer southeastern suburbs, but very busy and, and kind of how I am pretty much still the same now. What are your memories of food around that time? Was your family a big food family? Definitely. I think every Asian family uses food to communicate, to connect, and to, to love, it's really a love language. So whether it was a celebration, a commiseration, or just the general family night dinner, that was really important. And I think the one thing that I really remember from my childhood is always going to the markets and going to the Asian grocers with my parents on the weekends. That was something I always had to do with them. And I hated it at the time, but it was really the only place outside of, you know, my my school and my extracurricular activities where I could follow them around and see, you know, what they were buying and making. And I think my parents were super hardworking, so we couldn't always afford the greatest things. But I think when it came to food, that was the one thing we would splurge on. You know, if it was beautiful seafood or something that they that caught their eye at the markets that they decided to turn into a bit of a feast. So a lot of my childhood and how I spend time with my family has always and and is around food. Jess, despite having this huge passion and love for food, you didn't actually start your career in food at all. You started in beauty. You spent eight years at L'Oreal in marketing and PR, and then you jumped over to Mecca as the influencer relationships manager. And that's how we met you. I want to know, did it ever feel like it was home at Mecca? I mean, you spent 10 years in the beauty industry. Did you ever think to yourself, yes, this is precisely where I belong? Or did you always have a bit of a niggling sensation that maybe there was something else that was out there for you? To be honest, I left L'Oreal because after eight years, I decided, you know what, I've done my time there and I couldn't see a role above me that I really wanted and could aspire to but I still loved the beauty industry 
and I loved the space that I worked in within PR and social media and marketing. So when this opportunity came up with Mecca, I thought it would be the greatest transition because it was still within my industry and then I could transition over to a retailer side versus working brand side. So it was something that I, I assumed I would I'd still do for a really long time, but obviously that didn't technically eventuate. But I, I think at that point as well, a year ago, I, I was in the back of my mind, you know, inspired by other people around me who had side hustles or went off to pursue careers outside of their current industry and managed to just change what they did. But to be honest, was pretty comfortable being still in that beauty space and and kind of just working in an office environment. I think I thought about it, but I've never really had the courage to do it. This is where I find it very interesting, right? Because you mentioned just then that sense of safety and comfort, but then there was a day where that sort of safety and comfort was pulled from you, weren't you? Talk to us right now about the day when you found out you didn't have a job anymore. (laughs) So it was the start, the very, pretty much the start of March, and it was just as COVID-19 was announced as a global pandemic and there was already a lot of nervousness and stress in the air about what's going to happen and and what everything's going to look like over the next year. And I was nervous, but I never really expected to be made redundant. So I don't think, I don't think anyone does. And it's not something you preempt and you kind of have a hunch, even though I should have probably thought maybe, but I was absolutely caught off guard The second I was notified, I was just pulled into an office, I kind of zoned out. It was the weirdest feeling I've ever felt. And I couldn't even articulate myself. I kind of just had to say, okay, and walk out of the room because I couldn't even gather my thoughts. So my world just kind of turned upside down and it wasn't really until I made it home spoke to my husband about it, was able to speak to my best friend about it, that I then kind of started to, it started to truly sink in. And then over the next couple of weeks, that's when I started to freak out and figure out what the hell I was going to do next, which is really funny because in that space of time, everything kind of changed around me as well. And I even had you guys over for lunch because I was so confused and you guys were too about what was going on. It was literally the week before everything went into lockdown for the first time. Mm. So it was nuts. We want to talk to you about that lunch, but before we get there, I want to have a discussion with you about what losing your job, particularly when you're career oriented like yourself, does to your sense of worth and your identity. Did you question what you were worth or where you were going in that moment of being let go? I imagine that would be incredibly confronting for anyone, let alone someone who very much prioritizes their career. Absolutely. I think I've always been that career-driven woman and my job has a lot to do with my self-identity. So as soon as I realized that was no longer the case, I didn't really know what to think of myself anymore and I felt like I was going through a major breakup, especially for someone who's so committed in their job. I'd like to think that I work really hard and and when you look at my 
my tenure at companies. I kind of stick it up for the long haul. So for it to not be on my terms, for it to be such a surprise, it was really initially embarrassing. And I think a lot of companies or when you get told that you've been made redundant, they'll tell you it's not personal and it's just business, but you definitely have these doubts as to why it was you and and why it had to happen and you think it's something that you did and because you didn't do this and you didn't work hard enough but it was yeah something I had just I struggled with for definitely a couple of weeks before I kind of finished with that grieving and then decided you know what let's close that chapter and and let's open ourselves up to the whole world of possibilities and opportunities out there. I mean, and it's been so obvious just watching you from the sidelines that there's been so many opportunities and so much that's come from after that process. But I want to know when you're deep within it, when you're feeling, as you say, embarrassed or when you're feeling shame, maybe, did you feel like you didn't want to tell the people around you or you didn't want to tell anyone? Absolutely. Even just the way to communicate my departure with my team and my colleagues was something that I really struggled with deciding on for the two weeks that I finished out my notice. So I decided to stay on, which not a lot of people do, because I felt I had this duty of care to make sure that everything was wrapped up and that my team would be in an okay position once I'd gone. And I think especially if it's happened to you for the first time, yeah, you're really embarrassed and you don't want to you don't want to tell anyone about it and I only really told my family and my closest friends and then initially the objective was really to try and find a job really quickly, reach out to recruiters and secure something so that it could seem like I just moved on. But obviously with the way that the world happened, it wasn't meant to be and what ended up happening was me just deciding to just be very honest with everyone and just say, look, I got made redundant and I don't know what I'm going to do next and I don't know if I still want to work in beauty. I really have no idea, but I'm just going to try and figure it out over the next however long it's going to take. I think my favourite part about this story is how the listeners can kind of jump in and track it or trace it because in early March I put you as a recommendation it was a random recommendation no, well not a random one at all but it wasn't like I knew any of this from the sidelines we hadn't spoken about it yet but I put it in my you're showing me a diary now it was the 11th of March so, so how many days I, later was it it was one week later so one week later I'm in charge of that week's newsletter and I had been making a lot of your meals because you'd been uploading them on Instagram sporadically And I pop you in our watch recommendation saying, watch my friend Jess's recipes, they're awesome. And you called me about an hour after that newsletter went live and I was sitting in the office and I looked at Michelle and I was like, oh, fuck, is she going to get annoyed at me that I put her in the newsletter without her knowing? And so I was terrified to answer the phone. Because you always (laughs) blindside me. (laughs) Sounds like us. It's all, yeah, it's absolutely you guys, especially Zara. Anytime you call me, that's something that I did not expect whatsoever. But this time you didn't even call me. You just popped it in. And I literally woke up to a couple of hundred followers all of a sudden, not knowing what I did or where I got mentioned. And then I was just lucky enough to be working from home that day. And I look, I'll be honest, I don't normally get a chance to read your newsletter the day that it releases, but 
in my lunch break, I was having a look and then I realized, oh shit, that's me. So that moment was really crazy because it happened within a week of me finding out that I was going to lose my job and then all of a sudden this happened and then it kind of opened itself up into being a new opportunity. Coming up after the break, Jess talks about building her own business during a time like this, even when the people around her were telling her it was far too risky. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Jess, you invited Zara and I around for lunch at your place. This was mid-March. It was just before my birthday, actually, just before lockdown 1.0. And we all sat around your outdoor dining table and we ate your beautiful pasta together. And you told us that you had this idea in your head or this dream in your mind that you wanted to have a career in food, but you didn't know what it looked like or how you were going to make it happen. And before we talk about what you've done in the months since, we want to ask, what was holding you back from chasing that dream earlier? Was it that you always had that dream in secret and you never told anyone? Was it the dream only came about on the cusp of 30 or in your early 30s? Or was it just that you felt like you couldn't quite bring it to fruition just yet? For me, I think, for one, it was going into a completely different industry that I had never had any experience in. The other part of it was not being kind of brave enough to walk away from something that you've worked so hard for and doing something completely different. I think that takes a lot of guts. But I had seen a lot of people around me, including yourselves, do that, but I never really acted on it. And it was something that I always wanted to start pursuing a job in food as a side hustle, doing something on the side whilst I was working. But if I was being really honest, the job that I was in just didn't allow it. I just didn't have the time. And by the time I got home, I'd be so tired, especially in my role when I I dealt in social media and PR, like that's the last thing you want to be doing (laughs) when you come home from work. And then I think it was just a sense of complacency as well, where, you know, like this job pays really well and I should be pretty grateful for that and and just kind of stay with that role versus decide to kind of throw it all away and, and do something different. I wouldn't personally do that. So it only happened because it got forced upon me. I remember Mish and I saying back in March that this idea that you had was like a banger idea. We were like, this is a fucking great idea, but we had no idea how quickly you were going to turn this thing around. Within the space of two months, you had built your Instagram following to what, like 20, 30,000. You were a well-known food blogger already who was working with the likes of Vogue Australia. How did you make that happen? Well, I think to be honest, it's a culmination of of amazing timing and then also a lot of hard work and I was just really lucky enough to have the time to do it because as soon as we had lunch you guys said you know what if it's something that you think there's a gap in the market and it's something that you and your friends would want and enjoy you should just do it and and see where it goes and after having a few conversations with my friends and family, I just realized, guess what? I'm in the perfect time to try it because I've got absolutely nothing to lose. I don't have a job. I don't have commitments. I'm so lucky that I don't have any kind of dependence and my husband still has a job so we can kind of make it work in the next couple of months. And 
let's just go for it. And if it's a flop, that's fine. I'll go back and find another job. But what if it does work? And also, to be fair, I didn't just go out there and pursue it straight away. To be to be honest, in the first two weeks of not having a job, I just wanted to reset and do something for me, and that was food. I've always used food, especially when I was working in my other jobs as therapy. So I would, after a big week of work, pick a recipe that I've always wanted to try and then make that. And then that whole process to me was quite mindful and it allowed me to be present and then you get a really delicious output that you get to enjoy. So for me, ISO 1.0 was just all about baking focaccia, listening to great music and just like having a great time because I'd never had such a good break like that. I've never had a break between my jobs. I've literally gone from job to job to job. So It was really naturally that. And then I think as I shared recipes, I think it was my first focaccia that everyone kind of lost their minds at, which was wild. From there, I kind of thought, well, I think people want recipes. And if everyone in lockdown, no one being able to go anywhere and needing inspiration for their daily meals or weekend projects, I just decided to, okay, well, I'm just going to share all the recipes that I love and that I've been wanting to make. And then it kind of just built into this business. And I remember Zara calling me up again and blindsiding me and saying, hey, do you want to write a recipe for us and share it in our newsletter? And I was kind of nervous about it, but I just said, well, okay, sure. Why not? I've got nothing else that I'm working on. I can't even turn it down because I don't have an excuse. Um, <laughs> for sure. Good to see it was a hot offer. <laughs> no, no, as in like, because I was so self, you know, like you get self-conscious about things. So, but I have, I was nervous about it, but I was, I said, yes, you do remember I said yes, but I was very nervous about it because I was like, what if people are going to judge me and be like, what the fuck? So, <laughs> and you guys, remember with the ship shooter which was like 15 15 weeks ago now I was so nervous about that I like spent so much time trying to figure out what I was going to do and then we just released it and people loved it and then I was like well if people love it I'm just going to keep on doing it until people don't and it's just grown into this thing that is now pretty much my full-time job which is so incredible. wild to say. When you told your friends of this, I think that's a different set of circumstances to telling your husband, who you're financially obviously entangled with, but also your parents, who probably had a view of what your career was going to be and then had that thrown off course. How did your husband and your parents react to this change of career course? Because I imagine they probably met it with a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of fear on your behalf. Absolutely. I think the advice I was getting was just, just find a job. You don't have to love it. Doesn't have to be the be all and end all. Just find something. Because I think, especially in March, April, there was so much uncertainty and it was just a matter of finding security, finding financial security. So to be really honest, it took a lot of conversations with a very risk adverse husband who is a lawyer, so he's very, he really did not think fondly of this idea. He thought I was nuts, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) 
bless him. Right. He was just concerned. All good. So, and also, and I also said to him as well, I was like, I've got to pursue this because if I don't do this now and know that it was a success, so it was an absolute flop, then I will always, unfortunately, resent you for this. So I need to do it. And the perfect timing is now. I don't know when I'll have this opportunity before kids and, and other responsibilities and other opportunities that might come my way. And it, it took him a month to get over it. And then he was like, okay, fine, we'll try it. We'll, we'll figure it out. I was like, yes, thanks. And then from there, I just ran with it. I got an ABN. I obviously had started working with you guys. And then it was just a case of sharing more recipes and changing and pivoting I guess what I did online on social media so that you know brands and publications would would notice and it didn't really take much time at all because I think there was this whole trend with everybody turning to to food and home cooking content whether it was with mega celebrities or just humble home cooks like myself. For anyone who's listening to this story right now, and I think a lot of people are in unstable employment or have been laid off and they're wondering, well, how did she connect the dots to get from there to here? What would you tell them? What would you tell people who want to build their own thing as a side hustle right now in the middle of a global pandemic? I think you have to be smart about it. You can't just go, all right, I'm just going to start a business or whatever. It was quite calculated in that I had to assess was there demand for it? Was there a gap in the market? And I think there really was. Like I said to you guys, I didn't see someone like me sharing this kind of easy to follow food content. And, you know, I'd always been frustrated by looking at cookbooks and, and online recipes where you only see the final image, you never see the steps in between what it's meant to look like, the rationale behind why you're doing what you're doing. And so I thought that's the gap and I couldn't see it especially within Australia. So I thought, well, if there isn't, it's not here, then I'm just going to have to make it. And I think when you realise there is that gap in the market, then you try your hardest and, and do it. And I think I was just lucky because, not lucky, but I had spent the last 10 years working in that industry, but on the other side from a brand management perspective, from from a talent managed perspective. And so I just kind of, had to cross over to the other side, but I still used all those marketing, PR, social media skills that I learned over the last decade. And then I turned it into something that was my own. And it was different because it was, you know, something that I loved. So I was able to, you know, really be passionate and work really hard. But I think the best satisfaction in it is that it's something that I've just kind of created. It's it's a, it's like a it's a whole business. It's an actual. It's almost like a product, and kind of similar to my previous job. It's not really a specified job title. Like when I went to register my ABN, I really didn't know what box to check. I honestly, I don't even know what I checked. <laughs> um, and like even when you you guys refer to me as a food blogger, like that's so wild to me as well. Like, and I don't necessarily think. It's just that either, but it's, I think it's publishing food content in a way that is 
really easy to follow and it's it's not over the top and it's not pretentious and it's and it's just food that's delicious that I would genuinely want to eat and hopefully the people around me would want to eat which tends to be the case. Jess, I've never told you this before, but something I've always admired about you is your ability to network and establish really great relationships with basically everyone you come across in a professional capacity. Like I don't know anyone in this industry who would have a bad word to say about you, for example, and everyone trusts you and loves you. And I think networking is such an important key for so many young women who want to unlock whatever their dream career is. What are your tips for networking? Do you think about it in a strategic sense or do you just go into work relationships trying to kind of foster some kind of friendship or some friendly bond? I think networking is so critical. I think that is half of the reason why I've been able to work in the industries that I have from an internal and an external perspective whether it's with my colleagues and then also with the people who I've worked with like yourselves but I've always I've just loved connecting with people and working with people and I think you can learn so much from the person who you work for or the people you work with whether it was a shitty experience or not and also I think you you just never know when you you'll need their help down the line or you might have to call in a favor or you know even people like from my high school or from my uni days somewhere down the line you'll have to lean on each other in some way so I've always you know loved meeting people getting to know them working with them working for them and also I guess with my with my personality being an extrovert I love um connecting with people so it's never something that I'm quite strategic about it's just it's very natural like for example the reason why I got into social media and the whole influencer space was back in 2012 when Instagram was just a thing for brands and businesses my boss at the time had no idea and she was like hey can you just deal with our Instagram because I just don't get it (laughs) (laughs) so I was like okay I'll figure out how this works. And it was like when everyone was posting food pictures and Valencia filters and in the beauty industry, it was all about makeup flat lays. And from there, I kind of got to know and and learn about all of these beauty bloggers within Australia and built that relationship to the point that I was able to specialize in, in it as a function. And now I guess I'm on the other side where I've turned that into a business of my own. What have you learned about yourself in the last sort of five-ish months since being made redundant and going out on your own? A lot. (laughs) I think in your career, you go through really, really fast periods of growth and then you kind of stagnate. And it's generally like at the start of a job or an industry or a career even. So I think I almost felt like I plateaued in the last couple of years and it wasn't until this year that I really went through that whole cycle again of incredible growth. And I think what I've learned about myself is I don't actually like change, but I'm very adaptable. (laughs) So I'm able to be pretty adaptable, determined and resilient to make it through on the other end somehow and I'll find a way. And I think that's one of the most critical skills you need to have as a person, even as a business, to be able to survive through the decades. It doesn't matter 
what happens in the world and what gets thrown at you, you just have to be able to find a way to pivot and swerve and evolve into something different. That's probably been the biggest learning for me. And then I think the other thing is it's been really freeing in being quite vulnerable and upfront with everyone about my situation. I think it was only until I was honest with what happened to me that I then had so many people come out to support me and lean in and 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 help me get to wherever I wanted to go next. So I think that's a real key thing as well. I think you just have to let people know what's going on and they'll be there to help you. Absolutely. I think this pandemic has obviously been so profoundly awful for so many of us, including the three of us, but everyone listening to this as well. But Jess, is just a small part of you grateful that it was the circuit breaker that changed the course of your life? Absolutely. I think this year is terrible for so many people. But for me, I choose to see it as such an incredible opportunity. It was a perfect storm and it was a shitty period. But for me, I decided to run with it and see where that went. And I've said to a lot of people, who knows, this might last for a year, like in terms of my job, or it might be for 10 years. But I'm pretty grateful that it happened because it really tested me as a person and it really challenged me to find something that I really, really am passionate about. I think I I love, I still love beauty, but it was something that I was super passionate about when I first started my career. And I think you can you can change that path at any point, whether it's accidental or you decide to do it. So now for me, it's all about pursuing what I really love, which is food. And hopefully that's something that will be there forever. But you know what, if at the end of the day, in another 10 years, it's no longer the passion, then I'll evolve into something else. And I think that's a really important thing that I want to say to people is you can you can change, you can adapt, you can evolve. There's There's nothing wrong about that. And that's the great thing about today as well. What is it about food? Do you think that at a time like this somehow offers people comfort or harmony when everything feels so uncertain? I think at the basic level, it's a human need. We all have to eat. So that's what is a shared thing with everyone. Then it is that way to connect. So whether it's a family dinner having sharing dinner with your housemates or your family. That's how you connect with each other over food, where you go for a lunch break with your colleague. I think it's been comforting because food and cooking is therapy for someone like me. And now, as I've seen for a lot of people out there, but then, you know, it's the it's a form of love. You, For me, I love cooking for other people, which has been the biggest struggle, actually in this pandemic for me because I can't have friends over, I can't cook for them and I can't enjoy that meal and connect with them. So I've had to do it virtually via my recipes online. But I think it's so many things and it's so much more than just food. And I think also food is a a gateway for people to learn about each other and about different cultures as well. So you can look at a recipe and you can look at a dish and you can really understand that culture, its history, what kind of war it's gone through and and what kind of influences it's had over the centuries. So it's not just food. I think there are so many 
facets of it that I love. And, you know, it's comfort, it's love, it's a bit of joy, it's a bit of nourishment, it's therapy. It can be anything you want it to be. Or it can just be as simple as satiating hunger. (laughs) (laughs) Jess, if you could go back to yourself on that day in early March where you were told you didn't have a job anymore and you could tell yourself anything, what would it be? I think I would have just said to myself, it's going to be all right. You'll be fine. I think in that instant and in that first week at least, I was freaking out and stressed out about what I was going to do next, how I was going to pay the bills and all of that sort of stuff. But I think I would have told myself, it's going to be fine. Take your time to to grieve and, and kind of get out any frustrations and sadness and anger about it. And then move on. (laughs) With all of this in mind, what is success to you? Success for me is really about constantly learning, being challenged and challenging myself and evolving constantly. I think that's been really critical in my current success most recently but I think it's critical in what I'll do in the future and later on. And I think for me, I want to be able to look back and be proud that I pursued all those things and I was courageous enough to try it, even if it failed. And ultimately, I want to be proud of myself. I think, you know, there's there's loved ones and people around me who I obviously you know, want them to be proud of me. But I want to be able to look back and, and be proud of what I did, what I achieved, be proud of what I do today and tomorrow. Jess Nguyen, thank you for joining us. It is such a delight to be able to sit and chat to you about all these things and to have you as a friend and now kind of a co-worker now that you contribute to our newsletter every week. Um, we are such huge fans. If you didn't know that already, we're such huge fans of yours and we just think what you've done over the last four or five months has been absolutely incredible and it's a testament to the person that you are. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. So weird doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Like so weird, so weird. But thank you so much for asking me to be a part of it and sharing my story and sharing so many other people's stories that are really different. I really love what you do with In Conversation. I'm obviously a massive fan and I've loved what you guys do, but I'm so glad to now be a part of it in a different way. We are so excited. You're a shameless alumni. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Jess Nguyen. If you'd love to hear more from Jess and her fantastic recipes, you can find her on Instagram at Jess underscore Nguyen underscore. If you enjoyed this episode, we think you'll also love our In Conversation chats with MasterChef judge Melissa Leong and entrepreneur Cyan Taid. I will pop the links to both of those episodes in our show notes. As for us, well, the best way to support Shameless is to subscribe to the show. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that simply means you clicking that big purple subscribe button. If you are listening on Spotify, click follow. That shoots us up the charts and helps us find new listeners every single week. That is all from us. We will be back in your ears on Monday with a wrap of the week that was in pop culture. Bye, guys.
Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.